Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd and Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello everyone. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Trang Trin, the CEO and founding director of Trek Brands. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're really excited to have you. We are also here with Ozzy, your fabulous dog. He is. He's nine months and he's just, he's so good. He's so cute. We're so lucky. So um, let's talk, what is Trek Brands? So Trek Brands is a premium cannabis brand house. Uh, We lead with values, trust, respect, equality, and compassion. So our first and foremost, our mission is to do good and then manage premium cannabis brands. Um, so Trek is the, the parent company. Um, and then we've got two brands under our brand house right now. One of them is called Wink and then one of them is called Blist. Very cool. And what is a brand house? Uh, what we do is we curate premium cannabis brands and get products out to market acting as an agent of our licensed producer partners. So what that means is that we don't grow cannabis, we don't process it, we don't manufacture it, but we produce brands and then we work with licensed producers that will, that have actually have extra capacity in their facilities or are willing to take on a white label partner. So if you think of it, Compared to a CPG company, um, think of like a Diageo or a Procter & Gamble, they don't own all of their supply chain or all of their um, manufacturing partners. They'll create brands and then they'll um, outsource uh, the, the manufacturing part. Would you guys be selling directly to OCS then? So our brands are sold directly on the OCS, but it's always acting on behalf of our licensed producer partners. So right now we have Wink number one pre-rolls out in the market. And so you will first and foremost see our brand, which is Wink number one. But if you flip it on the back and want to know where the product came from, it came from Northern Green Canada, who is one of our partners. And uh, for you personally, what was like the most exciting thing when uh, marijuana was finally legalized? I guess the most exciting thing was was uh, being able to take on um, to be part of a nascent industry. So I would say that in a new industry, which barely ever happens in our lifetime, like the last time something like this happened was prohibition of alcohol. Um, This is an opportunity of a lifetime to really shape it the way we want it to. And there, there is a small window of opportunity for for uh, young people, millennials like us, to create and be part of creating an industry. And for Trek, it's all about um, giving back to the community first. And we looked at it thinking, if we were to um, look like five or 10 years down the road, when we're hopefully, you know, in the like billion dollar market cap, the fact that we pledge from very early on to donate 10% of our profits back to the communities we operate in uh, and create a movement like that around the world as the global markets open up, then we've done our job and created the impact that we wanted and left the legacy. I love that. And what is it about um, like the four pillars of Trek brands that you thought was necessary in the cannabis industry? 
So trust is first and foremost the most important value to us and that's why we placed it first. Um, Without trust, you cannot move a relationship forward, whether it is business or personal or a relationship with with my dog. Um, You know, you've got to gain that trust and having um, a transparent culture. And I think that that is probably the most important value to be able to move an industry that was once considered, um, you know, a huge black market to legitimize it and to professionalize it is to gain the trust of of your consumers and of the country. You said that it was a very new industry. And what, what was something that was like really cool about it being such a new industry? And what was something that was like really challenging? So the cool thing is just the opportunity um, truly the opportunity to, to scale and to bring new products out to market um, and to really destigmatize cannabis use. I find that, I don't know about you, but growing up and even in high school and in university and even in work life, you know that a lot of people use cannabis, but everyone everyone hides it, right? Yeah. So the opportunity to help destigmatize the the use is um, is a huge opportunity. Uh, the one challenging thing about the industry being so new is that it's the wild wild west, and it's although you're working with many different people that are trying to professionalize the industry. Everyone is sort of starting on the same page, not a lot of processes and structure in place. And so it's very important to do your due diligence on, on your partners and who you want to work with. Or, you know, if you compare it to a relationship, like who are you getting into bed with? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's probably the most challenging front. Um, so in the two brands that uh, you're currently representing, um, how do they kind of like fall in line with all those government standards? Like, did you have to be part of that process? So the the regulations are very, very restrictive in Canada. And of course, we all have to be responsible and follow the process. The one thing that first and foremost is making sure that you're not... Um, not marketing or advertising to youth. So anything that we do needs to be targeted towards a 19 plus consumer base. And um, and that, that was really the government's goal was that their two biggest goal um, in legalizing cannabis is one to um, get rid of the black market or the illicit market. And then two, making sure that it doesn't appeal to youth. So with, with Wink number one, we are targeting the fashion, art and music industry um creators creatives um but we we do it in a thoughtful way so we leverage a lot of our ink entertainment um partners venues uh like rebel nightclub cabana pool bar but they're all 19 plus age gated venues um with blist our woman focused brand this one is actually all about creating an educational platform for women and I think that that is also another way around um, around the industry and what the government is looking for is also to be able to educate consumers. And we really think that that women are looking for more content and more knowledge in this area and also to create a community where they feel comfortable voicing their concerns or why they use cannabis. So that's how we've taken that approach um, with Blist. 
do you feel like the government has handled the road to legalization well? And if you kind of had more say in it, is there anything you would do differently? This is a tough question. I th- I think that that the way that the rules are very restrictive, it actually gives us a little bit of a disadvantage against our neighbors down south. So although in the U.S. cannabis is federally illegal, um, California is way ahead of the curve. If you visit there, the cannabis culture is is bigger and more uh, grand than anything you've ever seen. And that's because you can actually brand. You can actually have access to many different products. Um, The marketing and advertising is more loose. um, So you can actually try to create brand affinity. Whereas here, it's actually pretty difficult to, to brand and market. And, and I think that if the regulations continue to be as restrictive, we're actually going to be at a disadvantage as the global markets open up. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we do have a very strong foothold in potentially becoming the global leader um, for Canada to become a global leader. If the U.S. market opens up um, in the next you know, three to five years, that's predicted, then we're definitely going to be behind. Yeah, for sure. So you don't see it going the way of alcohol where like you can have different brands like Smirnoff and all that in the stores and bars that sell it or anything like that? I would hope that it would go there one day, but it's looking it's going more the way um, tobacco, the tobacco industry. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. You've probably noticed like cafe and other stores like that have had a struggle keeping their stores open. Um, What's your opinion on that? I think that it's fair what's happening in the industry i think that if the government put out rules and regulations then we all need to abide by the rules right and i truly think that as um, the industry progresses um, successes in the industry will uplift the industry for everyone and then failures or roadblocks or if if you're um like not following the rules that actually just hurts everyone else at the same time you were talking earlier about the um, the different process of, of, of actually marketing uh, mm-hmm. this product. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like um, what's the best way to go about that? What are the challenges of marketing it? So in terms of marketing brands, we were really lucky to inherit the two brands from two of our other um, uh, co-founders. So Wink really came from the Ink Entertainment um, conglomerate and then Bliss came from Bassam Hanna and, and his two co-founders where they were trying to create a, a woman's brand to convince their wives to smoke <laughs> weed. Um, but once we, when we, when Truck Brands inherited both brands, we really took a deep dive into understanding who the target market is, who is the demographic, what are they looking for, and doing a, a brand strategy. And so I would say for both brands, we have a strategy document of about like 100 plus pages. Um, so that was like the first and foremost is like the deep research that went into both brands. And then to take it from there is to then develop brand guidelines and how those all fall in line with our target demographic. Um, in terms of day-to-day marketing, right now our approach is a little bit, um, it, we're in the early days and as a startup, we're just trying to see what sticks and what works. So we're trying to do in-store marketing, we're trying to do experiential marketing, we're marketing at 19 plus venues at clubs. 
Um, we're doing a lot of social media outreach. Um, we have a like huge customer acquisition list that we're uh, communicate to every day. Um, but I would also say that we have a roster of 90 plus investors uh, from the from the Toronto and Canada community that also really helped drive the brand forward. So we're leveraging all of our stakeholders to, to help truly market the product. That's cool. And so you have 90 investors in the company. Yeah, That's cool. That's a lot. How yeah. is uh, balancing all their uh, different like opinions, advice, everything like that? Yeah, so I tried to get ahead of that by building a little bit of an investor uh, relations strategy. So my commitment to them is to send out a communication every four weeks to keep them abreast of everything that's happening. Although in this industry, four weeks is like, you know, a few months worth of work. Um, so th- that, that is one way we engage with them. But now that we want to engage them more in marketing, et cetera, I've created a WhatsApp group for the ones that are interested so that we can share with them, you know, day to day what's happening. And if they feel like communicating that to their, um, their network, um, that also helps a lot. But in terms of, um, we also have a, like our, our board, I sit on the board as well. And you're right, we all have very different personalities. So it's just truly learning um, what makes, you know, what makes them tick, uh, what are the questions you can anticipate from them. So we have someone that's more fi- finance oriented, someone that's more marketing and sales oriented. So just trying to always cover our bases. And uh, are you working with any American partners? We are not working with any American partners right now, but we are actually are speaking to quite a few of them as we look at taking our brands down into the U.S. market or also potentially partnering with um, with celebrities to do collaborative brands as well. So I, um, I'd be curious to learn a bit more about the team. Is it easy to sell people on like working in the cannabis industry? Do are there fears around working in the cannabis industry? Is what do you expect? Like, what are people like when you're hiring them? So I would say that we grew our team very organically. That a lot of a lot of our um, team members came in through word of mouth, or they reached out to us. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's difficult finding people that would want to work in cannabis. Um, the biggest common denominator of why someone wanted to join Track was truly because we're values first. And that drives every decision that we make every day. So um, from our investors that we brought on, they had to have track values. From the partners that we choose to work with, from, you know, all the way down to the employees. Um, I think the biggest thing that our team recognized was the same thing that I recognize, that there's such a small window of opportunity to truly make an impact in the world. And this is our time. Like, why not us? Why not try to create a socially conscious cannabis company where we donate our profits back, 10% of our profits back to the community, and but also do good at the same time and, and live the values that should be table stakes, but you actually don't see that in a lot of a lot of companies and that's what we truly try to lead by every day and uh do you have any plans for where the 10 percent's gonna go or not yet um so we actually just had a uh our corporate social responsibility strategy meeting this week 
Um, we're actually working with NKPR, a pretty reputable firm um, in, in the city that only took on clients that have give back strategies. And so we are defining what each of our consumers want from both brands and we'll tailor. We've got a couple ideas and now the next step is to really meet with these uh, charities or, or nonprofits to um, to understand how we can work with them and how we could uh, donate our, our 10% back to them. Yeah. And um, do you ever have instances in such a small team where there's disagreements or anything like that? And as a CEO, how do you handle that? So all the time, everyone on my team is very opinionated. Uh, But that's great because I think that um, diversity of thought is very important in successful companies. And how I handle that is really give everyone a voice at the table and then eventually we get to a place where we we all try to agree on something. Mm-hmm. But if there there hasn't really been a point yet where we don't agree, um, but I'm sure we will have that at some point. But um, we take it one day at a time, and you know we go through all the same growing pains as any startup. But it's sort of. Uh, we learn from it and we move on, taking it one day at a time. Awesome. Uh, and you were talking about how you moved offices recently. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Was it challenging to find a space? So finding a space was challenging because it took time out of our day when we were looking for a space. Really, the team was maybe, I think we were like six people and we were all the leadership team. So we tried to divvy up who went to see what office. When we finally actually found an office that we loved, we realized just as we were about to put down an offer that it didn't have an elevator and it was on the third floor. So if we truly were living our values um, of equality, we couldn't take that space because you're um, you know, discriminating. discriminating against someone that may not be able to climb up three flights of stairs. So that was an eye-opening moment for us that like the next criteria in an office was we needed an elevator. Yeah. Um, but we were so lucky to find find the space that we have now. Um, I, I also joke with my team that not only am I their CEO, but I'm also the office manager. So um, finding a new office is is great but then it comes with like okay how do I get bums in seats okay I need a desk I need chairs for everybody we need whiteboards so um, I would say that I took all the initial setup of the office but now was able to divvy up with the team who gets the uh, you know who who's responsible for getting like paper for our printer and <laughs> supplies and all that yeah. all yeah. the things you don't think about that like exactly. keep an office running yeah and um, I know that you have like an extensive uh, corporate background how does that help you run the company that's a great question. So I'm so grateful for that background. I um, started my career at PwC where I obtained my uh, CPICA, then went into Loblaws and worked in various finance and operational type roles. And um, towards the end of that, I actually worked under Joe Mimran and helped him launch Joe Fresh into the U.S. and the Middle East. And then prior to Trek, I was at Deloitte in M&A advisory where I covered the cannabis sector. And that's truly what got me into the cannabis space. 
um, I had the opportunity with one of my clients to actually go down to Jamaica for half a year to help them professionalize the industry down there and to build a vertically integrated operation. And, and so I gained a ton of experience from, from that project where I do take it to my world today. But I would say the biggest piece of advice or learning that I got from Deloitte was from my um, previous leader who I had the opportunity to work under for four and a half years, where she instilled in me that having guiding principles and clear pillars of success will, you know, drive, drive all businesses and, and whether that was in an M&A transaction or standing up a company, um, starting with a clear, uh, vision or values is, is the way to go, which is why, um, partly why Trek was formed and why it was formed based on values. How has it been like switching from such a corporate role to the startup role and what are kind of like some of the benefits of each? I would say switching from corporate to startup was a pretty smooth transition for me um, because in consulting, when I was doing consulting at Deloitte, it was it was pretty it was pretty um, time consuming. It was like very demanding. Monday to Thursday, you're usually traveling to a client. Fridays, you're in the office with the team, um, but you're usually on the road. The the one thing about being in a corporate world was that evenings and weekends, I sort of had boundaries and I was able to shut off. And now being in startup life, you would think, one, you would have thought that startup life was more flexible. Um, and that has proved not to be the case at all. It's actually even more um, more demanding, and but it's also really rewarding. And so I would say that in startup life, I um, how it's so different is that I wake up every day thinking about the company. I go to bed thinking about the company. You never truly turn your brain off, and you're answering emails that you know we pass like way past midnight hours because that's like the only time that you had a chance to sit down and and do deep work or on the weekends. Whereas like during the day, your your day is just full of meetings. Um, but I would say the benefits of each um being in a corporate world i felt like i always had a um a mattress to land on if if uh you know i I experienced anything challenging or if i failed there's always a massive firm behind me to to back me up or to catch me if i was falling whereas in startup world you're sort of on your own and sometimes it's actually quite lonely um, so it's just finding ways to to, um, to balance that and been lucky enough to have a lot of sponsors and mentors in the business um, community that I tend to reach out to a lot now more so than when I was at Deloitte. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's a certain personality type that can handle startup versus corporate? For sure. Um, I think someone with a lot of Term, determination and a, a lot of grit and I think that is like truly what's needed um, recognizing that 100% of, is not good enough it's you need 200% in at all times um, and willing to put in the hours to not only do the work but like you're building a team you're creating culture you're setting precedent in a, a brand new industry they're all things that 
um, I think every startup goes through and a lot of growing pains that we all go through. But like I said before, um, they're pretty natural growing pains and the successful ones will uh, take it day by day, learn from mistakes, but then you got to pivot and move on. I'm sure you guys have learned a ton throughout your journey. Is there anything that you would do differently if you could go back and do it all over again? Well, we've only been in business for seven months, believe it or not. Um, and I'd, I'd, I, want, I do want to point that out. We've, we've been doing this for seven months and it's because of the incredible team where we grew from myself and our VP sales, two people in January. We're now a team of 14. We closed a $10 million equity raise in April and we launched a product to market. So we've been sprinting. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to go back and do some things over again, would probably be um, some of the things that you don't think are important to set up in the beginning is like, and some of the things that I actually learned from Deloitte, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, should have done as soon as we started the company was just setting up proper structure, Mm -hmm. proper structure and processes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also uh, when finding partners to work with, it's just truly having good paperwork Um, I always tell my team now, let's learn from some of the mistakes we've made in the past few months is that good paperwork makes for good partnerships. And so those are probably the the two things that I would say are really important um, when you're starting up and it usually gets looked over. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. um, So you're telling you 14 people in seven months is actually like a pretty big uh, hire. Uh, Do you have any advice for any people listening who are like want to hire people? Like what are some of the most important qualities that you would look for in in an employee? So first and foremost, we call it Trek values. So as soon as you meet somebody and you talk to somebody, you can totally see if they embody the values of your company or not. Um, but secondly, it's really all about attitude. And is this person going to put in the 200% that is expected of a startup? And sometimes startup life isn't for everybody. And I think those are probably the two most important, most important things that I look for because a lot of the skill sets you can learn along the way. Uh, but you really can't teach someone values and you can't teach someone determination. Mm-hmm. To make a startup work or to even grow as quickly as we did um, sprinting, it only works when everyone puts in 200%. And um, you mentioned the private equity that you guys raised, the mm-hmm. $10 million. So congrats on that. Um, how was raising that? What was that process like? Those six weeks are probably the most... Uh, challenging six weeks of my life um i would say got the least amount of sleep i met over 200 potential investors i lost my voice along the way um but it was such a great learning experience i think it was just true validation that a lot of people believe in our business model um and that there are a lot of good people out there um we right off the bat told all of our potential investors that we're donating 10% of our profits back to the communities we operate in to set the standard. And if they weren't okay with that, then they weren't the right investor for us. And we went out for 10 million and we actually were oversubscribed um, by 2 million. So, so $12 million came in where we had to cut back 2 million and, and give back money to investors. 
That's wow. really, that's uh, definitely unique, like a yeah. unique experience. Yeah, and I would say when we were going out to raise his money, it was, it was pre-revenue and almost pre-idea. Um, so it's just having a, like really having a good story that, that entrusted our, our potential investor base. And um, uh, for making the decision to give back that two million, was that something you knew right away that no matter what, you would cap it at ten million, or yeah. was it okay? Yeah, because we didn't want to dilute our shareholders that that came in, and when we projected the amount of money that we needed for for this year heading into twenty twenty, um, that's what we needed. Um, to make this successful and we'll likely go up for another raise uh towards the end of this year or early 2020 once we get our like the rest of our plans in place for all of canada looking in the u.s and then also europe as well um was there anything uh that we didn't ask you that we that you wish that we did some analogies I always um, like to compare what we're doing is that we're building a plane and flying it at the same time. Um, so with that comes a lot of challenges, right? Um, there are days that we feel like we're going to uh, to fall out of the sky. And then there are days that are extremely like happy and like we're on like a super high. Um, but, and, and I think that's all part of a startup is like the... Um, the uncertainty of it, but the biggest thing is to, to have fun along the way and to build a team and a great culture that um, that you can do that with, which I feel so lucky to have. That's great. It's amazing. Well, now we are going to go into the rapid fire round. Okay. Some fun questions for you. <laughs> um, so first of all, are you a morning person or a night person? Definitely not a morning person. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can ask my fiance that. <laughs> Uh, so I would probably say I'm more of a night person. And, uh, how do you start your day? Every day is very different. So today I started my day by meeting up with my cousin at Barry's boot camp, um, which actually was, was dreading it, dragging myself to the gym, um, at the wee hours of the morning, but it felt great afterwards. Um, usually I do just start my day by, uh, waking up, showering, and walking Ozzy to the office. Um, we usually pick up breakfast on the way as well. What's your favorite spot in Toronto? So recently, I just got into meditation. And there's this studio down the street from our office called Home. Um, and I've been giving it a, it a trial. And I've been loving it. And so I, I, I've been wanting to get into meditation for a while. Um, I've just been putting it off, but I found lately because I can't turn my brain off going to bed or waking up that this uh, half an hour that I go to at lunchtime during throughout the day really helps me um, re-energize and relax. And the place there is just so beautiful and so calming. And um, what's the best street in Toronto, in your opinion? The best street in Toronto, I would say, is Ossington. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge foodie, and I frequent Ossington quite a bit. Um, I don't have a ton of time to cook, so I, when I do go out, I like to grab food there, order from Foodora there, and then my favorite spin studio is off Ossington as well. Awesome. Cool. What's your favorite thing to do to relax? That would definitely be working out. So um, 
Barry's Bootcamp and Ride Cycle are my two go-tos. And I've been trying to, at Deloitte, I was really good at this. I've been falling off the wagon a little bit here where I try to incorporate a lot of my business meetings over a workout. Um, I find that every week there could be numerous events over drinks, um, af- like after work uh, eats which isn't always the healthiest. And, and for me to be like the most optimal is like getting in a workout um, and, and getting good sleep. So I would say I now am trying to re-engage that back into my life. Yeah. Um, what what helps me relax, but then it's great to be able to catch up with a business colleague over a workout because we're all trying to fit it into our schedules anyways. Yeah, I love that idea. It's like like going for drinks, especially like in tech and startups, is just like such an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, catching up over a workout is probably something we should look into because that's a, great a good idea. idea. Yeah, and grab a shake afterwards yeah. versus a glass of wine. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely going to put that one on our like top 10 that's, tips. Yeah. <laughs> what's the last place you got delivery from? Amazon. Um, yeah, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, the best advice I've ever gotten, and it's actually the same advice that I give to a lot of people now, is uh, to be confident in what you bring to the table um, and take the opportunities along the way, learn from them, but also support others around you. And I think that people are more successful when they encourage those around them. Who was the best boss you've ever had? The best boss I've ever had, her name is Heather Blumberg, and she is um, an incredible leader at Deloitte. And I would say the reason why is that she really encouraged everyone to be their best self every day, to bring your whole self to work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and just to, to shed some light so you can appreciate more why, Heather was someone that, you know, one day could have purple hair, one day could have blue hair. Um, she had, she's totally tattooed everywhere and not something that you would expect out of a partner at a big firm. And, but that was refreshing. And, and, and she was just so down to earth and was able to connect with all her clients and her team. And she was really the one that, gave me a ton of opportunities to um, to learn. And I honestly, I wouldn't be here in this role leading a company without her. So I tell her all the time that whenever I see her is that every day when I'm faced with a challenge or don't know what to say, I actually always think, what would Heather say? What would Heather do? That's so cool. I love that. And then what was your very first job? My very first job was I was a cashier at Zeller's that doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) All right. Well, that is everything. So thank you so, so much um, uh, for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. This has been uh, like great insight into the cannabis industry and everything that you guys are doing with Trek. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. And thanks for letting my puppy Ozzy join us as well. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.